everyone. Uh, my name is Ethan. I am one of the pastors here at The Bridge. Um, today, worship looks a bit different due to the coronavirus pandemic and because of the governor's recommendation to leaders throughout our state. Uh, we are not all gathered together in one building today, but rather are scattered um, across homes and apartments, uh, couches, decks, perhaps even in a beach chair, scattered across our city and region, but coming together uh, through the amazing gift of technology to center ourselves today and to tie our hearts um, to God. And so, so glad that you're tuning in today as well. Just want you to know that uh, we put an article together uh, this week to help you, to help us, to help the church. It's titled, Seven Ways the Church Can Respond to the Coronavirus. And so I would encourage you to dig into that if you haven't already. It really lays the foundation for how we as a church will think and operate in this season. And so it's been quite of a whirlwind of a week. Um, I'm sure it's been the same for you. Uh, lots of emotions, lots of news, lots of conversations. It's been hard to find a quiet minute. And I'm sure many of you have had a very similar experience. At first, I considered um, doing a standalone sermon today uh, in order to address how we really should think and relate to the current pandemic. But in God's providence, I really can't imagine a better scripture passage for us today. So I hope you will lock in with me for about the next half hour um, as we center our hearts today and center our minds on the things of God. Also, hey, if you're turning in today, or sorry, if you're tuning in rather, and maybe you're with a friend, maybe you're with a family member, you're even by yourself, maybe you don't normally go to church, maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus, um, I just want you uh, to know that I am really glad that you are checking this out with us. Um, I think you're going to get a really good perspective today of what it means to be a Christian, especially in this cultural moment. So here's the short version. Um, we believe that Jesus really was the Son of God and that he actually um, resurrected from death. We believe um, that he um, really w resurrected from the grave, that that reality is, it's the single greatest reality um, in, the, in human history for all of humanity. Jesus entered human history as the Son of God to redeem people, you and me, who were far from God. That truth, that reality, we believe is the greatest reality in the history of the world. And we believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was for you, that God loves you, that God is for you, that God wants to know you and to have a relationship with you. And we believe that faith in Christ, who he is and what he has done, is the only way to experience the kind of life God has for you. It's only through faith in Christ that you get the power to endure things like suffering and pain and disease and depression and even a pandemic. And the gospel not only has the power to transform an individual, but also whole societies. And so I'm grateful that you're um, with us today. And um, if you're looking for hope, I think that you are in the right place. So would you pray with me as we begin? God, today, we just, um, as we begin, we just stop for a moment. We just pause. We, we center ourselves on you. We enter into a spiritual moment together uh, to think about you, to be able to hear from you, to be able to worship you, to be able to connect with you um, so that you can really give us um, the word that you would have for us in this moment and that you would center um, our lives. And God, I am so thankful today that as the writer of Hebrews has said, um, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And so therefore, let us offer up to you, to God, an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for you are a consuming fire. So God, would you consume our hearts today as we spend a little bit of time in your word, um, looking and listening to your word. Amen. Well, today's scripture passage is from 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be covering verses 11 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is Peter writing to a Christian's followers of Jesus in the first century, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you or against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation or the day of judgment. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. My title for today for the sermon is this, Life in the Empire. Life in the Empire. The Apostle Peter here in the first century is helping us understand what it looks like to live as Jesus followers in a culture that's actually hostile to the claims and the practice of Christianity practices of Christianity. This was exactly the same in the first century. And so beginning with our text today, Peter is actually going to shift from primarily theological in nature to primarily practical in nature. He's, he's set up for the first few verses in the first couple chapters, theologically, what it means to be exiles, to have our identity in Christ. And now he's going to actually talk practically about what it looks like for you and I as Jesus followers to live in the culture that we find ourselves. And you and I we need to know um, what it looks like to live in the empire. And just when I say empire, this is, this is the category, this is the concept that these first um, uh, century Christians would have understood. When I say empire, I mean nation. I mean the kingdom of this world. I mean, I mean the culture, the world that we find ourselves in. You and I need to know how to live and how to operate in the culture that we find ourselves in the empire. We need to know what it looks like practically speaking, to live in this actual cultural moment because it's going to direct us impact or directly and personally. Kind of reminds me of a story um, of a conversation that I had a few years ago with a pastor named Steve Timmis. He's a pastor that is in the UK. Um, you would, I could say the UK is a few years ahead of us um, in the West of what it means to um, be secular, what it means to be progressive. Um, the UK is really a few years ahead of us. And in a conversation that I was having with him, who pastors, he pastors in the UK, um, he actually told me that because of the direction and because of where the culture is, um, where they are in their culture, their pastors at his church um, have actually removed any kind of ordination or pastoral licensure with the state. They don't even conduct um, weddings because of the pressure of the state for them to comply with the state's legal legal regulations. And so they actually send their engaged couples to the courthouse to get legally married, and then they do a celebration together with the church after the fact. That's the direction that we are heading as well. So this isn't like I love Lucy culture anymore. 
Um, it's not Sanford and Son. It's not Leave it to Beaver or Home Improvement or Family Matters. Those days are gone. They're just completely gone. We're in a different moment uh, today. And so Peter, as we saw last week, he taught us as followers of Jesus that we are now a part of a new nation. We are a part of the Jesus nation. And followers of Jesus comprise their own nation, their own kingdom, their own empire, the kingdom of God. And so today he actually builds on that theme. The first thing that he says is that we are sojourners and exiles. Our identity as followers of Jesus, we're sojourners and exiles. That's actually really unique language that he uses for us. Here's what we need to understand. I'll I'll put it on the screen for you. There's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world, you could also refer to as the empire. When you become a Christian, God transfers you from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. What God is doing right now in human history and what he has been doing is actually growing his kingdom and building his kingdom. And then one day his kingdom will come in its final state. But right now there is a war that is happening between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. So let's start with the kingdom of God. Here's what scripture says for those who are in the kingdom of God. We are chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Uh, We also see the language of the church or the body of Christ. Now, if you look at the kingdom of this world, the language that we see is the world or state or empire or nations or the Gentiles, meaning all the ethnos, all the ethnic groups outside of the kingdom of God. If we look at the nation of God, we see that the structure of the nation of God is this. Our king is Jesus. The citizens of God's kingdom are Christians. Um, The place of his kingdom right now is the church. Our constitution and our law is the Bible. It's the law of God. Our government, our church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. If you look at the nations of this world, they are set up and structured in this way. The kings of the nation of this world are presidents or emperors or whatever you would call them. The citizens are non-Christians. The place are countries. The constitution and the law for the world is whatever the law of the state is. And the government are the officials of the state. Now, here's what's important. The characteristics of the kingdom of God, the way that the kingdom of God functions, the way that the kingdom of God operates, this is what scripture says, that the characteristics of his kingdom are light, Holiness, righteousness, honor, peace, love, justice, unity, selflessness, sacrifice, and moral fidelity. This is what it means to operate within God's kingdom. Now, the kingdom of this world is completely opposite. This is what scripture refers to, and this is how this characteristics that scripture gives us for the kingdom of this world. Darkness, unholiness, unrighteousness, Slander, fear, hate, injustice, division, selfishness, greed, and immorality. These are the characteristics of the kingdom of this world. And so just to be clear, the kingdom of God is the realm of God. It's the realm of God. It's the domain of God. It's the rule of God. It's operating within the realm of God. And the kingdom of this world, to be clear, is the realm of Satan, which means to live under the dominion and the rule of Satan, our enemy, uh, our, the greatest enemy against God and against you and me. So then, if we're in the kingdom of God and you have the kingdom of this world, then how should we operate? What, what is our relationship to the empire? What does scripture actually say? Here are the words that scripture uses. We are strangers. We are exiles. 
We are foreigners and we are ambassadors. This is what scripture says that we are as followers of Jesus in the world, in the culture, in the empire that we find ourselves. We're strangers. We're like refugees. We're like immigrants. We're, we're like exiles. We're foreigners. We're ambassadors. This isn't our home. This isn't our final destination. Our citizenship belongs somewhere else. So how should we, you and I, as followers of Jesus and as exiles and sojourners, how should we live in the empire? Now, Historically, there are three kind of like big broad ways that Christians would typically associate or relate to the world or relate to the empire. The first is invasion. Invasion. This, this is being against the world. This is being against the empire. This is like trying to have a military, like overthrow the empire, overthrow the nation, overthrow um, the world. In, in the scriptures, this would be people like the zealots. Peter himself was actually a former zealot. A zealot was a religious, um, really kind of militant person that they thought the purpose of the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah was to literally overthrow um, the government. This would also be Judaizers. This would be the Maccabean Revolt. These are people that literally pulled, like, took arms, um, swords, drew the sword to try to um, defeat um, the nation that was at hand. This was in the really the DNA of Peter of what he had always known. This is why you may remember the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with some of his followers, and Peter is there as well. The Roman guard comes to take Jesus captive, and what does Peter do? He draws the sword, and he actually tries to cut a guy's head off, misses, and cuts his ear off. He drew the sword because he was still operating from the mindset of we're going to overthrow those who are against us. So the first is invasion. The second is isolation. It's isolation. It's, it's running away from the empire. It's, it's seclusion from the empire. These would be like people throughout history, Christian hermits, as they are called, or the monastics, those who actually retreat from the world. They build monasteries. They go into caves. They hide away from the culture. They hide away from the world because they don't want to be um, close to the empire. They think holiness is as far away as you can be from the empire. So invasion, isolation, and then the last one is infiltration. Infiltration, it's, it's Christians who try to acquire power through the empire, which means aligning yourself with the empire or affiliation with the empire in order to try to gain power and infiltrate um, the empire or the nation or the kingdom of this world uh, for your own um, power and for your own good. This would be like the crusaders in the Middle Ages. The crusades in the Middle Ages where the church actually had the power of the state and used the military of the, of the state to actually kill other people. This would also be like 20th century moral majority in America those who are trying to infiltrate the state or the empire in order to try to gain power so that the empire will look like the kingdom of God. So how should we, if those are all wrong ways that we should relate to the empire, how should we live in the empire? Well, let's look back at the text, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, abstain from the flesh which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, scripture, first of all, the first thing that we see is this abstention from the passions of the flesh, which means not engaging in our fleshly um, desires. Scripture is always contrasting the flesh and the spirit. This is an analogy. Flesh, the word here literally means flesh. It means your body, but it's an analogy. It means what is earthly. It means what is of this world. 
In scripture, whenever you see the spirit, it means not what is of your flesh or what is of this world, but what is actually of heaven, what is spiritual, what is godly. And this is ultimately a mindset, a mindset that you either operate from your flesh, from your earthly perspective, or you operate from the spirit, from the Holy Spirit, and from that kind of perspective. When you become a Christian, you don't automatically have some kind of spiritual amnesia of the past. You get the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian, but then the process of sanctification begins where you learn how to walk in the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit, getting rid of your old mindset and learning a new mindset. So this is the first way we live in the empire. Life in the empire means walking in the Spirit, not the flesh. Life in the empire as followers of Jesus means we live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Paul would even tell us in Galatians 5, 22 through 24, but the fruit of the spirit, this means the fruit of the spirit of God in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of those characteristics define uh, your life this past week? And he says, against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It would kind of be like a, it kind of be like a company that, has a, that goes through a transition. A company is struggling, a company is plateaued, a company is in decline for whatever reason. Um, the market isn't good or their process isn't good or the product isn't good or whatever it is. New CEO comes in, um, says this is a new vision, this is a new way that we're going to do things. We're going to operate in a different way, we're going to function in a different way. The previous employees are the ones that are stuck. They're the ones that, whether they like it or not, have to figure out, are they going to change their mindset and operating according to the new way of doing business, or are they still going to do it the way that they've always done it? In order to stay there, in order for the company to thrive, they actually have to begin to have a shift of their mindset and shift the way that they um, have been um, operating. That's why some of you perhaps, um, or some, some of you may have known someone uh, in your family or in the past that got laid off because somebody new showed up, a new coach, a new CEO showed up, got rid of all the other staff and started new because he didn't want to have the old mindset. He wanted to start something fresh. You and I as believers, we have to operate according to the spirit. We got the Holy Spirit in us. We got the spirit of God in us. And all of us have the ability, whether you're a pastor or not, whether you're on staff or not, all of us, If you're a follower of Jesus, have the ability to have the Spirit of God in us. And if we walk in step with the Spirit, we don't have to live according to the flesh, fear, anxiety, whatever it may be. We can operate according to the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. So Peter says, hey, the first thing you got to do living in the empire First thing Jesus followers got to do living in the empire, you got to walk in the spirit. You can't walk according to the passions of the flesh. You got to walk according to the spirit. And then he says this, look in verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, speaking of the Roman empire, verse 14, or to governors um, in the empire as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, which meaning the role of government is to uphold good and to punish evil. The role of government is to create a society in which good flourishes, in which human flourishing happens. Verse 15, for this is the will of God for you and me that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Here's the second thing that life in the empire looks like what it means. Life in the empire means submitting to civil authorities. Submitting to civil authorities. He says to be subject. 
The Greek word here, it literally means to submit to the orders or directives of someone. You could translate it as subject or submit or obedience or obey or submission. And this word, this exact word is going to be used in a couple other ways in the following passages actually about workplace relationships and family relationships, which we'll get to in the next couple weeks. See, you won't rightly understand the nature of God until you rightly understand the nature of authority that you have to be in subjection to the authority that God has put over you. Now, we live in a culture that is just completely anti-authoritarian. Like, no one likes the word authority. No one likes the word submit. Um, We are an anti-authoritarian culture, anti-establishment, understandably so. I get it. I've been there. I've been in ba- under bad leaders and bad authority. Um, but we are like, I'm my own person. I follow my own truth. I live, the, I live what is right for me, not what is right for you. I don't submit to anybody. I only submit to myself. Well, God is a God of order. God is a God of authority. God has established the world in such a way that he has ordained multiple human institutions in which the world will function. It's, it's, it's not like a bad thing. So, for instance, the first institution, government. God has ordained and instituted and established um, civil government for the way in which the world should operate. That's God's idea. Uh, the second is uh, the church. God has ordained the institution of the church, which um, authority is present. There's a structure present. There's order present. Um, and that's the institution that God has given as well. The third is the institution of the family that the family structure, the family unit, the father, um, the mother, children, there is order there, there is authority there. It's a structure that God has instituted for a human flourishing. So first of all, God institutes government. It's God's idea. He's the one that established it. Paul would even tell us in Romans 13 verse one, he would say, let every person, speaking of you and me, be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God And those that exist have been instituted by God. Here's what that means. Authority is God's idea. Government is God's idea. No one is actually in a place of authority unless God has allowed it. God institutes government. And God reigns over all government. God reigns over it all. Daniel 2, 20 through 21 from the Old Testament says this. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, and then get this, he removes kings and sets up kings, which means God is his responsibility to set up kings and to take kings down, to set up presidents and to take down presidents, and anything and everything that happens in human government across the world is allowed by God. We would even see Proverbs 21.1. We would see the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. No king, no president, no ruler is outside the sovereign control of God. And God at any moment can turn the heart of the king, the mind of the king, the will of the king in any direction he wants. We would see this in the Old Testament stories like Pharaoh and King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius. So submission to civil government is a demonstration of our submission to God. When we submit, this is what Peter is saying, to civil government, we are demonstrating that we are in submission to God. If God is over nations and kings and governments, then we can trust him and submit and recognize that it's not our role to overtake the civil civil authorities. That's God's job. Now, I will just say, there is room and there is a place for civil disobedience. 
So in the moments where civil government and civil authorities um, ask us to do something that is ungodly, we obviously do not obey in that moment. We obey God. We would never disobey God's commands. And so we obey God in that moment, which is why there is a place for civil disobedience. Think of the civil rights movement, a great demonstration of injustice that was happening, ungodliness that was happening in a society. And specifically, mainly, Christians stood up and said, like Dr. King, this is not just, this is not right, and the government should change and should pursue a goodness for the purpose of human flourishing. And so there are moments where you and I may, may need to exercise civil disobedience, but when the government is not asking us to do something that is ungodly, we are commanded by God um, to submit to whatever the orders are of our government. I mean, how timely this past week, where we've got um, leaders in our government who are asking us to do certain things and to function in certain ways as um, institutions, as organizations, as gatherings of people, and we should do our best to try to submit to whatever the governing authorities are saying. So God has instituted government. He, is, he reigns over all government and life in the empire means that we have to submit to the civil authorities. Now look at the last two verses in verse 16 and 17. It says this, live as people who are free. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That word there is bond servants. Servants of God, verse 17. Honor everyone. That means everybody. Yeah, that means your roommate. That means your mother-in-law. That means your neighbor. That means your coworker. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Speaking of the brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God. Healthy awe and reverence for who God is. And then get this. Honor the emperor. This is crazy. This is crazy to me. Here's the last thing. Life in the empire means honoring all people. Life in the empire means honoring all people. Honor everyone. We honor people not because they have earned honor, but because they are due honor. We honor people because they are made in the image of God. The psalmist would tell us in Psalm 8, 4, and 5, what is man that you are mindful of him, speaking of God? Why are you mindful of man and the son of man that you should care for him? And this is what he says about humanity, about us. You have made him, speaking of mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Which means God has already given glory and honor to every human being. Every person is made in the very image of God. And so therefore, we, could we should recognize that glory. We should recognize that honor by ourselves honoring one another. Can I just, can I just say this? Um, in this moment, in this cultural moment that we find ourselves, um, some, some people are going to lose their minds. Some people are going to freak out. People are going to start um, wars. People are going to start fights. And what's unfortunate is it's going to happen in the church. Christians are going to pick sides about what we should do, about what we should not do. Um, there's there's going to be fights that happen. Christians are going to start throwing bombs and hurling Bible verses at one another, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do this. We have to, as followers of Jesus, operate with honoring one another, which means I, I may disagree. We may have a difference of opinion. We may function a little bit differently in a, maybe a denomination or maybe in a church or maybe even in community groups and different ways that people function. That at the end of the day, even if I disagree with you, even if we have difference of opinions, I have to honor you. 
I have to honor you. I have to respect you. I have to demonstrate love to you. As, as he says here, we have to demonstrate love for uh, the brotherhood. This is what we have to do. This is how we have to operate. This is what is going to be remarkable to the culture. Uh, th- there's no honor in, in our culture. There's no respect in, in our culture. Everyone is against everyone. It's a cancel culture. You don't have my ideas. You don't have my uh, beliefs. You don't have my philosophy. I'm just going to cancel you. The church, this is our moment to demonstrate that we got something different to offer. This is our moment where we can demonstrate that we actually can honor one another, love one another, serve one another, even the emperor, which um, translate that into our culture, the president. I mean, this is crazy. The apostle Peter, he was a zealot, which means he hated the Roman empire. He hated the Roman Empire. I mean, he was a part of a military tribe against the Roman Empire. And then he actually writes with his own pen, he says to you and to me, honor the emperor. I mean, that just is unbelievable to me. I mean, that's basically saying um, that we need to honor the president of the United States. Now, I assure you, it was, and whatever your thoughts and whatever your beliefs are uh, and whatever your perspectives and opinion is about the president of the United States, I can assure you that they had it worse than we did, Okay. They, they had it significantly worse than we did. I mean, think about Nero, who, who would be a coming emperor, who would actually slaughter Christians. And Peter's like, you got to honor him. See, see how crazy that is? You've got to have something so remarkable about you. You've got to have something that is so otherworldly about you that it just doesn't make sense to the culture. And when you function in this way, when you operate in this way, according to the spirit, I mean, it will change society. It will change the world. It will change people. Honor the emperor. Can I just offer like a, just a, can I just, can I just offer like a pastoral encouragement in this moment? Hashtag, um, not my president. I get it. I understand it. It happened during the Obama administration. It happens, it's happening right now. Um, can I, can I just say as, um, as Christians, we can do a little better. We can demonstrate, regardless of what you think about the president, you don't have to like him. Um, you didn't have to vote for him, whatever it is, um, but you do have to honor him. You have to honor him, and by honoring him and by submitting to our government authorities, you're demonstrating a way in which you can actually honor God. doesn't mean you have to agree with all of his policies. Um, you don't have to agree with all, his, all of his uh, politics or whatever it is, but you do have to honor him. You have to honor him. And by the way, why are we so hung up on a president anyways? We're in the kingdom of God. We actually don't need a president. We actually already have a king who rules over us. I'm not saying it doesn't impact our life. It doesn't impact our day-to-day. It does. But I'm saying we should stop being so hung up on who the president of the United States is and start being hung up on who God is and our king who rules and reigns over us. See, church, we have a moment right now in this global pandemic uh, to demonstrate what is altogether different about us. Jesus has saved us. Jesus has given his very life for you and me. He hung on a cross for your sin and your shame, for your past, for your pain, for your anxiety, for your depression, for your guilt, for whatever it is, for whatever you've done, whatever others have done to you. Jesus took that on himself for you. He's given you a new life. He's given you a new mind. He's given you the spirit of God in you. He's transferred you from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. He's made you now a citizen of heaven. He's given you a new identity. He's given you a new future, a destiny. Um, he, he, he's in us. It's, 
It's time for us to start living and operating like that. I know it's, I know it's a hard moment right now. I know it's unbelievably challenging. I know that we're facing health loss, economic loss, vocational loss, even perhaps death for some. It's a hard moment, but we are made for this moment. We are made for this moment. We are built for this moment. Um, this is an unbelievable opportunity that we have at our disposal. And so what are we going to do? How are we going to live in the empire? We're, we're going to walk. We're going to walk in the spirit. We're going we're to we're submit. We're going to live in, in harmony, in peace with wh- whatever empire we find ourselves in. We're going we're gonna to walk in the spirit and we're going we're gonna to show honor. We're going to show honor to all people. We're, we're, we're going to demonstrate that there's something different about us. We have the hope of the world. If you're, if you're joining us today and maybe, maybe the Jesus thing, maybe, maybe this gospel thing, maybe, maybe this is completely foreign to you. Maybe this is completely um, new to you. you. You have like hardly a clue of uh, half the stuff that I'm saying. Let me just say something directly to you. God loves you. I don't know whatever you might be feeling right now in this moment, fear, anxiety, stress, worry, groceries, toilet paper, um, hand sanitizer, whatever it is. I want you to know today that God loves you. God loves you. He actually gave himself for you. You can give your life to him today. You can give your life to him today. You, you can start over. God will, God will change you. He'll, he'll, he'll actually take away the fear. God has the ability to take away the anxiety. He can give you joy. He can give you peace. He can make you new today. The way that that happens is you just give your life to Christ. It happens through faith. You can't be a better person. You can't earn it. You, you can't check a box and, and, and make that happen. It happens through faith. Believing in who Jesus is and what he has done for you, his life, his death, and his resurrection for you. If you trust him today, if you believe him today, put your faith in him today, you can become a new person. Let's pray. God, today, I just ask that you would give us the grace right now in this, in this moment, through the name of Jesus and through the power of Jesus, that you would just allow us in this moment to be the church, to be the kingdom of God, to be the kinds of people that you have equipped us to be, that you've called us to be. I ask that in Jesus' name that you would uh, have a, make a move of God happen right now in our culture. I pray for the city of Wilmington. I pray that you would um, help us as followers of Jesus to demonstrate light to a world that is dark and that needs it. Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us, God? Would you allow us to do what can only be done through the power of your Holy Spirit? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.